the final words of Joshua. This is in chapter 23 and 24 is actually his farewell address. Uh, covers over two chapters here. Verse 20, chapter 23, for instance, verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, he was advanced in age. We know from chapter 24 that Joshua was 110 years old when he actually ended up dying. Uh, so we're, we're exactly between now and then. I don't know how old that was, but he was old uh, at this point and felt it was necessary to give some final instructions to the people. Uh, Israel has at rest with its enemy. It doesn't mean they had fully conquered the land. What had happened is Joshua, in lightning-like strikes, had broken the back of the strongholds, the city-states there in uh, Canaan. And so then they divided the land up. Now it was the responsibility of each tribe to conquer the land that they were given. And so that's, that's where they're at. And so these, as he comes then... There was localized resistance that they're going to face. So he gathers Israel together there in verse 2. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said to them. These are Joshua's final words. You, if you think of final words, there's three that I think of or want to call attention to. Jesus at the cross, final words, significant words. It is finished. Jesus Christ plus nothing. There's nothing you can add to that. When he died on the cross, it was done. And so his final words on the cross were what? It's finished. Before his ascension, uh, there in Acts chapter 8, what's the last thing he, instruction he gives his disciples? Go into all the world. Evangelism. Significant words. Paul, before he's executed, he says, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Significant words. As he is his final instruction to Timothy, to us as we read it, this is shortly before his execution. I have, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He finished strong. Significant words. And then Job's response to God, after all the way through Job, he finally gets in Job chapter 42, says, I abhor myself, repent, and dust and ashes. said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see at thee. And you know what? I'm disgusting. Final words. He didn't know about the Lord's blessings upon him. He was still had the black plague or he had the black leprosy. Maybe it was a cancer of some type, but he was under distress. He said, you know what? I find myself disgusting. Final words. So these are final words. So I believe it's significant again that as Joshua comes to these, this point of final words, which, which I have this question then for you. What would your last words be to friends and family? All right, I'm going to give you three minutes to write down three things that if you had the opportunity that you would write, that you would give to your friends and family. Let me, let me say something by, with that in mind. Several years ago, I had a funeral, or was at a funeral. I started asking family members. I wanted to find out whether the individual was born again or not or saved. I got all these, well, they, they were a good church member. And uh, they were really faithful to their family. And these are all good characteristics, but I could not get a definitive answer from anybody that they had actually come to know Christ as their personal Savior or that they had ever given testimony of that fact. I don't know whether they are saved or not. I really don't. But, you know, it's a, it's a shame if 
part of your final words is not sharing your faith with your family. That should be that should be a significant part of your final words. Think of your grandchildren, or some of you even have the great-grandchildren. Think of your classmates or roommates. Not just your family, but sharing your faith with them. Your salvation testimony, your journey of faith. So just think real quickly. Okay, you've got uh, two minutes left. Three things. If you had three things of final words you were going to give and say to your family, what would those three things be? What would your last words be? All right, let's look at what Joshua's last words were. What was his final words? I believe his final words uh, are here to prepare Israel for the battle yet to come. Whether you're 17 or 70, these words apply. It doesn't matter whether you're towards the end of your life or you're just beginning your life. Maybe you're a teen in the middle of your teenage years. It doesn't matter. These, these words that he is giving here to Israel is for everyone and for all of us to apply and take our lives. By the way, the point is this. These battles are yet, there are battles yet to take place. And sometimes they're going to be intense. Sometimes they may not be quite as intense, but there's still a battle. We still have battles that we're going to have to face. We still have battles. It may, it may be personal battles. It may be spiritual battles. It may be battles against sin. It may be relationship battles. But we're still going to have battles to, to fight. And as I begin the series, remember, I've mentioned to you that we're, this is a battleground, not a playground. And as certainly as they've gone into Canaan, that's the truth. You're going to be facing some battles. It doesn't matter whether you're 17 or 70, you're still going to have some battles you're, gonna fa- you're going to face. So the first battle, or the first final words, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to make, I, I kind of divided this into what I thought were themes. There's three basic themes that I see here in, and specifically in chapter 23. Reassurance. He wants to reassure him that the battle is the Lord's. We're, we're, here we are, we're stuck. We're always trying to solve the issues. And, and yes, there's, there are solutions. We need to be thinking through that. The Spirit of God certainly works through us to help us bring those things about. But we need to go back, back take that one step back and say, you know what, the battle is ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. He's the one that brings victory. He's the one that changes lives. He's the one that changes the course of the river. The battle, ultimately, we need to realize the battle is the Lord's. There's several examples you can draw back on. Jericho, for instance. Here they were to go to Jericho. They were to march around the city once every day, blowing their horns and marching around with with the ark kind of in the middle of the group. You've got the priest, the ark, and then you have the the army marching around the city. On the seventh day, they were to go around seven times. There was a long blast in the horns. They were shouting, and the walls fell down. Listen, if that's not a demonstration that the battle's the Lord's, I don't know what is. And, and part of that was to demonstrate that God was surrounding this city, that the battle is the Lord's. The situation with Ai, say, so yeah, but they were defeated at Ai. Yes, they were defeated by Ai, but that was a lesson even in itself. You know what? The battle is the Lord's. You need to walk in obedience, and you need, to, you need to do what I have instructed you to do. And when they were faithful, and they got the sin out of their camp, God instructed them. He said, I want you to use an ambush. You go in, you run like you did before, and you will be drawn out, says, we got them again, and then you come in behind them, and you burn the city. 
Listen, when we follow the God's instructions and realize, you know what, the battle is the Lord's, we always win. Another one, odd in some ways, but the Gibeonites. There was a covenant made with the Gibeonites. They were instructed specifically not to make treaties or covenant promises with any inhabitants of Canaan. And here was Gibeon, probably about 25 miles away from Gilgal, where they were camped. And remember, they came and they deceived them. They brought moldy bread, their raggedy clothes. They were, they were holes in their water uh, uh, bags. And I mean, it was just poor us. And they walked in and they thought, wow, they must have come from a long country. Of course, they deceived them. They lied about it. And they looked at their possessions. They looked on the outside to see what things were like. And they said, yeah, this must be true. Interesting verse. It says, there in chapter 9, verse 14, talking about giving, it says, Though the men of Israel took some of their provisions, those they did have a question in their mind, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. Listen, the battle is the Lord's, even demonstrated with, with their treaty that they had with Gibeon. The battle is the Lord's. Do we need to rely upon him? So part of Joshua's final words is, you need, you need to understand is that the battle, the battle is the Lord's. His life is our life. His power is our power. His truth is our truth. His way is our way. His strength is our strength. And his victory is our victory. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 to 13, for we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, verse 15, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day, having done all to stand. Verse 10 prior to that says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That interesting phrase, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Kratos, it's translated strength or power. This is an active volcano that erupts at any moment with immediate long-term results. Be strong, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is a volcano. The power that we have to draw upon is a, the potential that is in a volcano can erupt at any point and any time because his strength is our strength. His life is our life. His power is our power. The power of strength, uh, the, uh, the power of his might, the, might, the word iscus is might, inherent strength, not an outside source, but in him, within him, in him, in Christ. Listen, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I was baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And part of the ministry of being put in Christ was the Spirit of God himself indwelling me. He lives within me. I am in Christ and he is in me in the power of his might. That power is that resource that was in... Listen, when I go fight the battle, I don't have to fight by myself. See, his strength is my strength. His power is my power. His life is my life. His victory is our victory. My victory. See, the battle is the Lord's. 
If I can uh, act in Joshua's place, I would say to you, listen, when you go and you face this week, maybe you're going to face a battle today, you need to realize one very important thing. The battle is the Lord's. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to go get involved like they were at Jericho, just like they were at Ai. You're going to have to get involved. But remember, the outcome is still of the Lord. The battle's his. And don't get so intensely involved that you try to solve the issues in your own strength. The battle is the Lord's. The second thing that he says to them, there in verse 20, uh, verses 6 to 13, I'm going to read some of those verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but uh, close the gap. Now, I'm taking that, close the gap. I'll explain it, but let me tell you where I'm getting that from. If you, remember when you look back in chapter 14, we, we meet this incredible individual, one of our heroes. He's not mentioned any place in the New Testament. Remember his name? Caleb. And Caleb's testimony was like this in chapter 18, 14, verse 8. He says, because I wholly followed the Lord my God. Then Moses' testimony concerning Caleb, you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Joshua's testimony concerning Caleb, he, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. This is, this is a term used of a hunter pursuing his prey to close the distance between the two. Caleb followed wholly. He was intensely concerned about closing the gap between him and God. We, we, we're, we're concerned about a lot of things today, but as we get faced into the battle, one of the things we need to do, we need to make sure we're closing the gap between me and God. Whether I'm 17 or 70, I need to be closing that gap. And in these, in these verses here, 20 times, he uses the pronoun you or your. It's very, in other words, this is intensely personal as he gets to this section of his instructions uh, to the children of Israel. Verses 6 to 10, there's personal growth. Therefore, very, be very courageous, that's fearless, bold, to keep, that is to guard, preserve, something of great value, to do all, that's unconditional obedience, you can't pick and choose, that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you, you turn aside, that is to be uh, distracted, sidetracked, to the right hand or the left. Personal growth. Close the gap. <laughs> if I asked you today, and I'm taking for granted that you would say to me, Pastor Ken, I know that I'm saved. Then my next question to you is, how close are you walking in obedience to the word of God? How close is your walk with God? If, if God himself was to give a testimony of your relationship to him, what would he say? Joshua says to us, close the gap. Personal growth. How are you growing? How are you changing? How are you different this week, this year, than last week, last year? How's your life changing? The personal growth. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility for personal growth. I need to be growing and changing. You keep and do. You is understood under these verses. Caleb, he was committed to that. And Joshua gives us final instructions. Uh, he says, you know what? You need to close the gap. You're responsibly growing and changing. Second thing. Personal vigilance. 
verse 11, just the first half. Therefore, take careful, that is thorough, the opposite of careless, take careful heed. Heed means to examine with a microscope. Now, watch this. Take careful heed to yourself. Brother, we and sister, we do not want to put, we don't want anybody else to put us under a microscope. So we don't put ourselves under the microscope because, you know what, we might have to change. And, Paul, and Joshua, as he says, says you, you, need, you need to take careful heed to yourself, your personal vigilance. As, as we, and I hope you do pray this, I pray for you, I pray for our church, that that hedge of holiness be round about you, that, it be, that you would be not only protected from sin, but you're, you would have a, sen- a heightened sensitivity to sin and to sinful behavior, to sinful people, sinful attitudes, the sinful one. Take, be, be, have a personal vigilance as the Spirit of God works in and you to help you to grow in, in, in your faith, help you to grow spiritually and change. Maybe there's a bitterness there. Put it under the microscope. Maybe there's a, a life of disobedience. Put it under the microscope. Maybe there's a besetting sin of some type that you're struggling with. Put it under the microscope. You, you examine it. You judge it. As, as God says, or as Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, you know, if we don't examine ourselves, God will. And so I think it is appropriate that what Joshua is, he's giving these last words, it's a very fitting as we go tomorrow and face the battle that we're going to face, let's examine our lives today. Let's put ourselves under the microscope today. Let's examine our lives today. Let's expose our sin today. When we pray and confess our sins, are you specific? Or he says, God, forgive me my sins. Like what? See, put yourself under the microscope today. Be personal vigilance. Personal relationships. He He says there... In verse last, the second half of there, verse 11, it says, that you love, now this is an unconditional surrender, that you love the Lord your God. Back in verse 8, he says, you shall hold fast, a strong grip, a permanence, a secure, you shall hold fast to the Lord your God. Your personal relationship. Jim May wrote concerning this verse, he said, we are to stick to Jesus like glue. We are to be attracted to him like iron filings to a magnet. We are to hang on to him as if our life depends on it, because it really does. It really does. Do do you cling (laughs) to God? Do you allow anything to pull you away from him? To be distracted? Or you come in and wedge between you and him? Again, a very fitting last words as he, he, as he uh, comes to Israel as they face those battles that are coming, coming down the pike, coming tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the next years. That personal relationship, clinging to him. Close the gap. Close the gap. Just close the gap. By the way, you know what book follows Joshua, don't you? Judges. You know what the theme of Judges is, don't you? Every man 
did that which is right in his own eyes. It makes it even more appropriate when you realize that a generation and a half later, they had chosen to coexist, to compromise with sin. If they had followed Joshua's final words, the battle is the Lord's, and close the gap, many of the heartaches and hardships they faced down the road would have been avoided. Close the gap. One last area. Personal compromise. He says, you go back and cling to these nations. Verse, let me read verse 12 and 13. Or else, if indeed, or else, there's a possibility, just what if, I just want to warn you, this is like the warning of the other three, are, they're good challenges, but this is a warning. It says, if you, if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, in other words, you be attracted to these like a magnet to these nations instead of being attached to God, if you cling to these, go back, cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain, know for certain, I mean, if you choose to coexist with sin, if you choose to compromise your testimony, know for certain, this is a certainty, this is not if, again, this is, this is going to happen. Know for certainty, if you live and choose to live a life of sin and sinful behavior, alienated from God, like the world, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. You compromise. You go back. You cling to these. You coexist with sins. I want you to understand something. You will suffer loss. There's no free pass. Does God forgive sin? Absolutely. But are there consequences for the choices we make? Absolutely. You will suffer loss. Three areas. You will fail to be able to drive out God's enemies. You'll have a loss of power. You'll have a loss of comfort. That's the snares. That's the, the, uh, the uh, snares and traps. Uh, that's dece- deceptive destruction. In fact, these snares and traps, the picture there is a hunter who lays out his bear trap, doesn't leave it plainly exposed on the ground, but rather he covers it very carefully, obviously, so he won't set it off. So when the bear comes along, he can step, he'll step in the trap. It's seductive. Listen, the devil is seductive. He's, he's the angel of light. He, he, never says, he never has a flashing sign that says, beware, don't come this way. Rather it is, the door's open, very attractive, come on in. It's not until you get in that you realize you're going to suffer loss. Snares and traps, these, 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 it's seductive. Scourges, scourges in your side. This is rather not being, meaning to be graphic, but this is the scourge in the side where the tearing away of the skin. This is the, the, the whip with the shards and rocks in it that would cling to a person as they would whip them, and as they pull back, with, they pull away the, the shreds of skin. Listen to be scourging your side. <laughs> It's painful. When you co- compromise and you coexist, it's going to be painful. 
And that's what he's warning them of. Listen, close the gap. You know what I'm talking about because you've gone through these things. I've gone through these things. If we just close the gap, there's a loss of power, the loss of comfort. There's a loss of, of capacity. Uh, this is to receive God's blessings. The, to perish means to, to be gone, to cease to be, a, to, cease to, be to die uh, from out of the land of promise. You will perish. And listen, this is exactly what happened. They did not take heed to Joshua's warning. And this is exactly what happened, exactly what he said would happen. They obviously, I say obviously, at least I believe it's obvious, that the families did not pass on their faith to their children's children's children. Because it was a generation and a half before all was lost. And we have every man did that which was in his own eyes. So the personal compromise. Close the gap. So he says, first of all, I want you to understand something. The battle is the Lord's. The second thing, close the gap. Let me give this illustration. Judges chapter 14 through 16, I believe it is. uh, 13 through 16. We have the story in Judges of Samson. Now, Samson was an immoral womanizer. What, and what a great beginning. His parents asked God, how should we raise this child? And they said, you, you raise him as a Nazarite. There's, you know, the things that he was, he was not to cut his hair, not to partake of anything of the grape. Uh, I can't remember the third, third thing, but three, three areas in his life that were, were lifelong because he was dedicated to the Lord. So from birth... He was dedicated to the Lord. But as he lived his life, he became consumed with lust and passion. He began to do things literally in his own strength. Well, finally, we find him then in chapter 16. He's with a woman he's not married to. She's not an Israelite. She was a pagan. She was an idolater. She was an idol worshiper. And he's with this woman, and he's having a an affair with her, very open and blatant. And she was, kept asking him, you know, what, where's your strength? Where's your, where, where, is it, where do you find your strength? <clears throat> and he would, he would lie, of course. He would tell her these stories, and then they'd, they'd bind him in green cords. They'd bind him in hair and other cords. I mean, just all crazy stuff. And every time then the Philistines would come upon him, and he would break loose. Of course, then she would whine and cry and say, well, why, why have you deceived me? Why have you, if you really loved me, <laughs> you know, you'd tell me the secret of your strength. So he does. He said, if you cut my hair, I lose all my strength. Well, she'd already been paid by the Philistines to find out exactly what the, what the deal was. And so they came in while he was asleep. I always wondered what in the world she had drugged him was he so drunk he passed out? How, how could he not wake up when they cut his hair? But he didn't. He didn't. So they cut his hair, and apparently they also bound him because of the fear that they had of him. And they said, the Philistines are bound you, and he thought when he woke up, well, I'll just shake myself loose just like I did before, and suddenly he couldn't. He was bound. He was caught. And then you see, as you read through the scripture, the first thing they did was they blinded him. 
He lost a comfort. And then they took him and they put him in a grist mill. Normally saved for a donkey, for an ox, to turn the wheel to grind the grain into flour. Judges chapter 16, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came to her, brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. That she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, they put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, they bound him in the bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Personal compromise is going to cost a loss of power, loss of comfort, loss of capacity. An easy remember, way to remember Samson is there's a binding power of sin. You can't break loose. There's a blinding power of sin. You can't see it. You, become it. you ignore it. It's not that you can't see, you just totally ignore it. And there's a grinding power of sin. And it just, sin will grind on you. It will aggravate you. But will it aggravate you enough to change? You know, we get so upset with children, especially our own, you know, they misbehave. Sometimes we get upset with somebody else's kids and misbehave. But we overlook, we overlook our own sin. We ignore our own sin. That's the binding, blinding, and grinding power of sin. Listen. Close the gap. Cling to him like iron filings do a magnet. You might be able to scrape a few away, but you can't get them all away. Close the gap. The third, he ends with a reminder. The battle is the Lord's. Close the gap. And you know what, folks? God is faithful. God is absolutely, unconditionally faithful. Verse 14 says, Behold the day, this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God has spoken concerning you. All you have come, all have come to pass for you, and one word of them, not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised So the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be burned against you, and you shall perish quietly from the good land which he has given you. Faithfulness is part of God's nature. He will fulfill his promise. And if he promised us blessings for obedience... We will be cursed for disobedience. God is faithful. There's a two-edged sword to that. There's two sides to that. We want the first side, but with the second side, we want to be blunted. We don't want to have to suffer those consequences. We want to live our life with impunity, with freedom. 
So as Joshua comes, these final words. Now, there's another one in chapter 24, but we'll take next week to look at that. But in this, in this chapter, these three things. As you face tomorrow, the battle is the Lord's. Today, close the gap. Close the gap. Make that a daily activity. Close the gap. And, and you know what? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation, no trial that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape. It's part of his nature to do so. But there are also consequences for disobedience. He's also faithful in that too. That's part of his nature. He has to be that way. The battles of the Lord close the gap, and God is faithful. So, what are your last words? What would your last words be to friends and family? Well chosen, I believe, well thought out words. This was from a life, a journey of faith, a life of experience, of seeking to trust and live for God. Did Joshua fail at times? Yes, we know he did. So it's even more valuable to hear what he has to say as final words to these the, the children of Israel. The battle is the Lord's. Close the gap. You know what? God's faithful. You can write that down. You can depend on it. Because that's the way it is. And as we face today, as we face the battles tomorrow, whatever they may be, remember this. God, the battle's the Lord's. Close the gap. And God is faithful. Father, we pray, even as we come to you this morning, we thank you so much. Not only for your incredible provisions for us, the grace and mercy that you continue to extend to us. We thank you so much for your patience with us. But then we also look at your provisions and your power that we can draw upon, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, and, oh, Father, for your faithfulness to us on our behalf, in spite of us. And, Father, I pray that you will help each of us to do better than we know how. And then we face the battles that may come today yet, or even this week, or in the weeks and years ahead. Oh God, I pray that we help us to realize again, to come back to the truths that are set forth by Joshua, that the battle is the Lord's. We need to close the gap, and you are faithful. In Christ's name we pray, amen.